number four, if you get a text message from somebody who's trying to live stream, we are having internet issues. We are having technical difficulties. So for some reason, the internet is down. And so, Willie, that explains why I was having a hard time connecting with the copier earlier. So anyway, I thought it had something to do with my computer. But uh, apparently the internet is down, and Comcast has been very reliable. They've been very good, so I don't know if it has to do with the weather or if it's something in the area. But I know there are several people, my mom included, who likes to get on live stream on Wednesday nights. And so if you get a text message from somebody asking, that's, that's what's wrong. The internet is down. So hopefully um, when Drew re resets the modem, the router back there, hopefully that will fix it. If not... We'll have to check with Comcast. But Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Again, I apologize for not uh, getting the notes transferred over uh, to a PowerPoint. But if you'd like to follow along with the outline there in the prayer bulletin, that is available if you'd like to do so. We have been looking at, on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at godly motives. What motivates us or what should motivate us as believers? Well, we've looked at the glory of God, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Last Wednesday, we looked at our acceptance in Christ, our sufficiency in Christ, the fact that we are accepted in Christ, and what that means. And then tonight, we'll look at our calling, our calling in Christ. So there will be some overlap, but hopefully... Uh, this will be of help and encouragement to us. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We talk about calling. And we sometimes will refer to calling as maybe something that is above and beyond just a general, a, a, a general salvation or uh, just the general fact that when we receive Christ as our personal Savior, we come to Him in saving faith and repentance. We talk about that sometimes in general terms, but we talk about a call many times as something very specific whether it be in full-time vocational ministry or whether it be in some area that God has gifted us or employed us, has allowed us to serve in, and there are various uh, areas of expertise, various places that God has us where we maybe are employed. In addition to that, we may have a specific role in the church where we serve. We sometimes maybe refer to that as a call. So we often think of a call in a specific way. But notice in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, so it's a strong word that the Apostle Paul uses by the inspiration of God, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. believe vocation is the word call again. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith ye are called. So in a 
general sense, but also specifically here, if we can kind of make a funnel in a sense or draw to a point, we are called in the sense of our salvation as a calling from the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. But now we are then to walk worthy of that calling as a believer. We are to be growing in Christ's likeness. We are to, in our progressive sanctification, be looking more and more like Christ. So we are walking worthy of the calling. We have been called in Christ, by Christ, by grace, through faith and Trusting him as our personal savior. Now we are to be walking worthy of that calling. So a simple illustration from the realm of athletics would be if a player puts on, and I am not a Yankees fan, but they have a certain way in which they are to wear the pinstripes. You'll sometimes hear it said. And I understand that the Yankees still have a rule that you can't have facial hair. And there's all the mystery and the lore and all the nostalgia and all the heritage and 20-something World Series championships. And so if you become a Yankee, you're to wear that uniform with a certain honor, a certain pride, because you represent the New York Yankees. Okay, That's just from the world of sports. There's many other applications that we can make, many other illustrations and analogies. But far greater than wearing the Yankee pinstripes, when we trust Christ as our Savior, when we are placed in Christ, who should we look like? How should we live? We should live in such a way that we honor the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we walk worthy of the calling wherewith we are called. This did not ever leave the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, two large or great overarching motivations in his life. Number one, that Christ had personally died on the cross for his sin. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we see here, in verses 14 and 15, I think I have the wrong, I do, I think it must be 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I realized I must have typed in the wrong, uh, the wrong passage there, there it is, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ constraineth us, that word constraineth has to do with compelling, compels us, motivates us, drives us, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul was a driven man. You cannot read the Pauline epistles or the book of Acts and the historical narrative of Paul's call and the missionary journeys and the journey to Rome. You cannot read those accounts. You can't read those texts without seeing a man who was driven, who was passionate, who was sold out for Jesus Christ. And what drove him, what motivated him 
was, yes, the glory of the Lord, but in a specific way that that glory of the Lord had manifested itself in his life and that he had trusted Christ as his personal Savior, that God had saved him. And in that, Paul always realized that he was a sinner, unworthy of that great salvation. He would refer to himself as the chiefest of sinners. He, he would see himself, even though we would describe him as one of the greatest Christians to ever live, if not the greatest, he never got over the fact that he was a wicked, wretched sinner who had even involved himself in the martyrdom of true believers. And he never got over the fact that he had been personally saved by Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for his sin. This proper understanding of Christ's love and grace, did it cause Paul to live carelessly, to live his life recklessly or worldly? No, it didn't. What did it do? What did, it, what did this constraint drive Paul to do? To live worthy of the calling. To, as he says there in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 15, not live, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That he would live his life for Jesus Christ with utmost devotion. This understanding of Christ's love and grace drove Paul to passionate evangelism, to a ministry focus, to a sacrificial service, three missionary journeys plus the journey to Rome without planes and trains and automobiles. He never went first class. He never got to appeal to Southwest Airlines for a whole row of seats. He did not get sky miles. He did not get any kind of, okay, he was a tent maker, right? He gave up his Christian, he gave up his, he had a Christian liberty. He had a liberty to accept an offering. Did he accept offerings from time to time? Yes. But Paul did what? He worked as a tent maker as to not be a burden on the churches that he would minister to. Walking, riding, who knows what kind of transportation means that he might have had at the most, maybe a chariot or something like that. But for the most part, it would have been walking or riding a horse or a donkey or a camel over mountains, on boats. And, and he did so with a passion for the lost, with a devotion to the ministry to preach the gospel. I believe it was Paul that said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He, he was miserable if he wasn't fulfilling the call that God had placed on his life. So a second motivation in Paul's life, that Christ had given him the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. A second motivating factor is his Passion for lost souls. To take this message of reconciliation 
to a lost and dying world. To Romans, yes, he was a Roman citizen that gave him certain unique opportunities and even spared his life at some points. But Paul suffered greatly, didn't he? Even to uh, eventually his, his death and martyrdom. But he was stoned, he was uh, shipwrecked, but he was driven no matter what the opportunity, no matter excuse me, what the circumstance was, he saw that as an opportunity to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, even to the point that he's chained to Roman soldiers in a Roman prison. And what's Paul doing while he's chained to those Roman soldiers? He's sharing the gospel with them. Can you, can you imagine what those Roman soldiers were like? They, I can only imagine some of those Roman soldiers are like, I don't want to be chained to that guy. He's going to tell me about Jesus. He's going to be witnessing. He's going to be sharing the, the word. And some of them got saved. Apparently, there were some who were converted, and there were uh, some who were involved in the church at Rome. Uh, there's testimony to the fact that Paul had converts even among the inner circle there, among the, the Roman soldiers and possibly even within Caesar's household. And some of these individuals were getting saved, and he saw then his imprisonments, as opportunities for the gospel. Philippian jailer, where they were singing uh, hymns at midnight, and the doors of the prison open, the Philippian jailer cries out, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He was driven, motivated. He had a passion for the lost, and that Christ had given him this ministry of reconciliation. Do we also have this ministry? We do. We have a workplace. We have places of recreation. We have our homes. We have multiple places that God puts us. We have neighbors. We have friends. We have family members. We have this ministry to share this message of the gospel, this message of reconciliation. So those are two great motivating factors in Paul's life. And then let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 in verse number 9, where we read, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. A holy calling. A Christian's calling is a holy calling. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So what does the word holy mean? I know we think of sinless, yes. We think of without error, without mistake, without iniquity, without transgression, yes. But let's think of it in a general sense of the word holy being set apart. Okay? We are striving by God's grace and with his help, we are striving to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. But this is a reference to our calling. Yes, we are saved, we are sanctified, we are placed in Christ, we are made positionally righteous in Christ upon repentance of our sin and faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. But this is speaking to more than just that. All that is true, but that makes our calling unique, set apart, different, We can talk about citizenship in heaven. We can talk about a peculiar people, a 
uh, pilgrims and, and sojourners and strangers. Okay, But what does that say? Wherever God has placed us, we are to represent that unique calling, that uniqueness. So we can work at a corporation, we can work at a restaurant, we can give 50 years to a particular place. And we can earn all the retirement benefits, get all the perks, all of the various ways in which we can be honored. But who do we belong to? Christ. We don't belong. Yes, we can wear that particular uniform. We can have all of the plaques and all the honors and everything, whether it be sports or whether it be an employer or whatever the case may be. That's not who we really are. We are first and foremost a child of God. That is where we talked about last week, our acceptance in Christ. So wherever God has us, we are to demonstrate that uniqueness of our call, that set-apartness of our call. So we go into a workplace, and we should work differently, talk differently. That doesn't mean we go in and we find the a crate, and we get up in the corner, and we start preaching across the, the, the cubicles in the office. I'm not saying we have to, you know what I'm saying? We, we live out Christ. We tell the truth. We put in a good day's work, whether we're on the ball field or the court, wherever it is, we, we, we play differently. I was helping Nat with uh, umpiring uh, last fall, and uh, he's teaching me. I enjoy the game of baseball, softball, and so I'm out with, with Nat, and we're enjoying. He's, he's a great umpire, by the way. He calls balls and strikes, and I was out in the, out in the field, and it, it was fun. It was a unique experience. I've been a player. I've been a coach. I've been a dad. It's the first time until this. Well, I've done some, some refereeing for basketball, but, you know, I've, I've, done re, I've done refereeing and umpiring for, like, little kids' games and stuff. This was, like, an actual league. Well, this... I think it was the shortstop or the second baseman. There wasn't even a play at the base, and the coach told the player to come over to me and question the call, and she boldface lied to me. Boldface, she lied. And we conferred, and we were like, that never happened. I'm thinking, how can you as a coach tell your player to go to the umpire and boldface lie? This is what happened. And I'm looking at her, and I'm saying, I did not see that. <laughs> And it, it, there, was, there was no way it even happened. I'm thinking, is that what we should do as, as believers? Is play the game like the world does? Play dirty and lie and cheat and cut corners? We, we ought to play the game differently. We ought to work differently. We ought to talk and live. And what happens? People notice it, don't they? They notice that there is something different about us. And they're starting to ask us questions and they say something about, can you pray for me? And they're going through a hard time and they come to us and God opens doors with the gospel. That's part of that uniqueness of that holiness, that set apartness of our calling. So what about some calls for a Christian? There are seven here. We'll just quickly go through these. First of all, of course, as a Christian, there's the call to salvation. We understand that even from the verse we just read in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. 
We are called to salvation. We are called by Christ. We have accepted that call. We have received Christ as our Savior. By faith alone and Christ alone, we have been saved. That call to salvation, Jesus himself makes mention of that in Matthew 9 and verse 13. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And by God's grace, we have responded to that call in saving faith. So we're called to salvation. Matthew 3 and verse 2. Matthew 4 and verse 17. Mark 1 and verse 15 make reference to repentance. So in that call to salvation, as we receive, as we receive Christ, as we obey the command to repent, we are saved and we are sometimes, even like the Apostle Paul, there are some times where the call to salvation is accompanied by a call to full-time ministry. In Paul's case, he gets saved, and before he leaves that room that day, he's also realizing that he's been called not just to salvation, he's trusted Christ, he's received Christ as his Savior, but now he's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That doesn't always happen that way. We don't always get that specific call after we get saved or, or, upon the, or at the same time that uh, we get saved. Later on, we may realize a more specific call, but nevertheless, there's the call to salvation. That's the first call for any Christian. Secondly, there's the call to service. The call to service. We can go to examples like Gideon and Samuel in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, many others. Specific calls to specific service. But what does Matthew 20 and verse 8 make mention of? The call of the need for laborers or the calling of laborers. We are to be laborers for Christ. All of us as believers, we have that call to be active in some area of service, to be laboring for the Lord in some way. Matthew 9 and verse 38, there's the prayer that the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest. Acts 16 and verse 9 is the Macedonian call, a specific call of an area that needed the gospel. But what do we see often in the case of service? It's being in the place where we are available and where we are willing. We are often called to a specific area of service or ministry because we are already serving or we are making ourselves available. We are ready. Samuel was just a child. Yes, his mom and dad had prepared him. There are great applications for moms and dads in the life of Samuel because why was Samuel even there at the tabernacle with Eli in the first place? Because he had a mom and dad who wanted their child to be used of the Lord and they dedicated him to the Lord. So that's a great application for moms and dads. But also, Samuel was there. And what was his response? Here am I, Lord. That should be our response. Samuel was ready. He was available. So many more applications, but really everyone who is a believer has been called to serve in some way. What did John, uh, chapter 13 and verse 14, what do we read there? Where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to, what? Wash one another's feet. We all have that call to service to humbly serve one another. 
Sometimes that call to service is specifically in a full-time vocational ministry, preaching, pastoral. Isaiah 6 and verse 8, Isaiah was called. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1 speaks to the office of the pastor. Romans 10 and verses 14 and 15, how shall they hear without a preacher? So there are specific calls, yes, into ministry and to minister the word. But there's, call, there's the call to salvation, there's the call to service, and thirdly, there's a call to separation. A call to separation. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. To separate ourselves from worldliness, from false teaching, from those who would be teaching false doctrine, from those who are worldly. Yes, we have a responsibility to evangelize, to minister the word of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, but that doesn't mean that we compromise, that we become like the world. No, we're to come out from among them. Our conversation is in heaven. Philippians 3 and verse 20. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter 2 and verse 9. And then Second Peter 1 in verse 3 mentions that we have been called to glory in virtue. We are to reflect, we're to represent his glory and the virtue of Christ. We have, according to his divine power, we have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness, to salvation, to living the Christian life, who hath called us to glory and virtue, to reflect the glory of God in the virtues of Christ. So the call to salvation, the call to service, the call to separation. Number four, the call to evangelism. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. But ye shall be witnesses unto me. And we know the verse in Acts 1 and verse 8, witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then number five, the call to repentance. Revelation 2 and 3. Of the seven churches, only one church did not receive a condemnation. I believe it was the church at Smyrna. And what were the churches when they were given their condemnation at the end of each of those messages to the churches? What were they told to do? To repent. The church at Ephesus, repent. Do the first works because they had left their first love. So even for the Christian, there is a call to repentance. When we are out of fellowship with the Lord, we're to confess and to forsake our sins. There's a call to repentance. Number six, there's a call to growth. As believers, do we ever, or should we ever stop growing? Never. We, we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. We continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord and our knowledge of Him and maturity in faith. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, grow in grace. Colossians 1 and verse 10, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I say it over and over again, there are no moving sidewalks in the Christian life. We don't ever get an escalator ride. Now, we have the grace of God. We depend upon Him, but we have to keep moving. We have to keep serving. We have to keep working on our relationship with the Lord. We think sometimes we can put the luggage down and we just get a free ride. Well, there's no cruise control. What happens when we sit back and relax and 
quit trusting and depending and serving and being faithful and start trying to do it on our own strength or put it in cruise control, what happens? We go backward. We get out of sorts with the Lord and we get out of sorts with others. So we see that there is this call to growth, this walking. Paul uses walking as a, a regular metaphor because Christian life, you, just, you keep going. Sometimes it feels like it's just little baby steps, but we, we can't just sit back and relax. And I, I know people mean well when they say let go and let God. But it's really not a scriptural saying. I know they mean probably to depend upon the Lord, yes. But we are to work, our, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. While at the same time, knowing it is God who worketh in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have that constant tension, don't we? We trust God, but we continue to work and to serve and to walk and to be faithful and to look for opportunities to share the gospel and to serve the Lord. We're called to growth, and then finally we're called, ultimately, to faithfulness. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We have spent some time on that already. Matthew 25 and verse 21, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then we come back to Ephesians 4 and verse 1, walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith ye are called. And 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12, we're to walk worthy of God. So our call, motivations, as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, and we'll continue with some more, uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But I hope that this has been a help to us and an encouragement to us in our motivations, godly motivations, our call or our calling in Christ Jesus. May that be one of the motives for serving the Lord each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, for our church, for bringing us together tonight where we can pray, where we can share our requests and our burdens and pray for one another. Thank you for the children's ministry, the deaf ministry as well. Help us, Lord, to walk worthy of the calling, of the vocation wherewith we are called. May we please you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.